Hi folks, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You're very welcome whether you're here and you've been along with this journey for a long time now, for a couple of years now, or whether this is your very first time today. And if it is, can I recommend that you too make the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. You can do that by clicking on the subscribe button. It won't cost you a penny. It just means that you'll never miss another single episode as we work together through the entire Bible. We're in season three, which is the book of Matthew, and we're reaching this point where the opposition has risen against Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees are demanding a sign that proves he is Messiah. And the text we're going to be covering today is Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 41. So I do hope you'll hang around at the end if you're new, and I'll give you an update on the few ways in which you can connect and receive other free teaching resources. But with other than that, we'll drop back in to the main text and pick up where we left off last time. Bye for now. You know, friends, over the years I've talked to many, many people about the Lord. And I have I've had many people say to me on many an occasion, I want more proof. When I hear that, my usual response is to talk to them about perhaps the prophecies of the Old Testament and how hundreds of them, written hundreds of years before Jesus arrived, contained predictions about the coming Messiah and how Jesus Christ fulfilled those prophecies perfectly. Now that has a certain amount of success. Probably up to about 20 years ago it was quite a successful approach when talking to people about the Bible and the, and the position that Jesus held within it because in those days most people had some degree of biblical literacy. But nowadays a great many people know nothing at all about the Bible So what they often say is, I want more proof than that. I want something other than you just quoting scriptures at me. So how should we approach that? What should we do when that happens? Have you ever talked to people about the Lord and they're not convinced? Well, that's probably like me just asking you, have you ever talked to anybody about God, the Lord or Jesus? Because the standard response nowadays is, I'm not convinced. So what should we do? How should we deal with that? Do you think there's a right approach, an answer if you like, a way in which we will persuade most people, most of the time, to make a decision? Or maybe can we just reach some of the people some of the time? Can we approach it in such a way whereas we call upon them to make a decision one way or the other? Well, that's the very thing that happened to Jesus here himself. And let me show you what his response was. So what I'll do is I'll pick up and begin reading from you where we left off last time. Matthew chapter 12, 38 to 41. I'll read the entire little section for you and then we'll come back as is our pattern and analyze it verse by verse. 
So verse 38 tells us, Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with a judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So this passage begins with the request from the scribes and the Pharisees, and they simply say, give us a sign, or maybe more accurately describing their request would be, give us another sign. This is tantamount to them saying, I want more proof. And Jesus responds to that, and we're going to see how he responds, and then give uh, today or tomorrow the result of how they responded to his response and what's really going on here. So we have to begin by looking at their request, and we'll see not only what they request, but what he says back in that. In verse 38, they said, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, to appreciate this statement, you need to remember that what has transpired in the Gospel of Matthew up to this point, uh, you'll recall this if you've been listening and following along with us so far, as we've gone through paragraph by paragraph, verse by verse through this book, we have seen Jesus do numerous miracles prior to this. As a matter of fact, in just chapter 8 and 9 of the Gospel, that run of two chapters just gives us one miracle after another. So the point is that there has been a lot of miraculous, if you like, supernatural activity going on already. In fact, this whole discussion uh, between him and the Pharisees comes out of them seeing something that has happened right then and now, where he has cast out a demon. And the Pharisees are saying, we don't accept that as an act of God or proof that you're a Messiah. So was something more. So they say to him, give us a sign. And that's just like saying, Give us more proof. We want something else. Now, in the light of all that's transpired so far in the Gospel of Matthew, it's apparent that what's going on here is they're saying, they're asking, and Jesus is in a sense saying, well, you can ask, but people don't always get what they want. What did they want from him, do you think? I mean, he'd actually just raised someone from the dead. What more, what else could they possibly be asking for? But that's precisely what's going on here. So today, when people say to me, I want more proof, I can say, well, what, what more proof do you want? We have the record, the biblical record of what's going on here in, in the life and in the story of Jesus. We have recorded for you events like this. And we also have more than that because we know we have more, much more than that because the Bible that hasn't been written yet, the events that haven't occurred yet, will say that he will go to the cross and die. And after he dies in the cross, he will personally rise from the dead. Then apostles will come along under the influence of Holy Spirit and give us the entire New Testament after the Gospel accounts. And then we also have 2,000 years of the work of the Lord on the earth in terms of what the community of faith has been doing and the good it's been doing right now in your world, in your country, in your very time. One thing that you can see now, even today, is the Lord still changing people's lives. God changing sinners into saints. 
not taking perfect people and religious people, but keeping people who come to him in submission and who come to know the Lord, and we can see their lives radically changed because of their encounter with Christ. The evidence is all around us. What more could people want? So God is doing stuff today. He is working today. And people can see it if they choose to look. And they could choose to say that is even more proof if I wanted it. At their request in verse 38, that he gives them more proof. He begins his response in verse 9 by answering and saying, It is a wicked and adulterous generation that asks for a sign. Now let's just pause here because he calls them evil, wicked and adulterous adulterous generation but let me just point out he's not talking about adultery in the sense of sexual immorality he's saying you are evil in the sense that God and he by his actions have already given you plenty of evidence of God's plan and purpose in the world before me through me and in the future and he's given you plenty of opportunity and you still haven't got what he's telling you and showing you which is ridiculous and unbelievable so he calls them an adulterous generation what he's doing is he's saying they're spiritually adulterous now this is something a motif that would have made absolute sense to them because it is used many times of the nation of israel in the old testament which they would have known there the old testament is full of those kind of accusations against the nation of israel God chose Israel, but they became adulterous and they were charged with being spiritually adulterous, meaning that they were unfaithful to the one true God, the one who had called them out of the world to be in a special relationship with him. So what Jesus means by this is that you guys are faithless. You're not believing the message that has been delivered to you over and over and over again through the history of of the nation of Israel through the prophets and through ultimately the one standing before you today. If you actually just read the verses prior early in this chapter, he's just cast out a demon in front of them and they are saying he's done that by the power of the devil, not by the power of God. So that's why he continues in verse 39 and says, no further sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So we need to think about what that means for a moment. Look, he says, I'm done giving you signs. I'm not giving you any more. But there is one other thing, one other sign, I suppose, I'll I'll tell you about. And that is the sign of the prophet Jonah. So what is and was the sign of the prophet Jonah? Well, thankfully, he explains for us in, in the next verse. For as Jonah, he says, was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights In the heart of the earth. So, what he's doing here, he's using the familiar story of Jonah from the Old Testament as an illustration for these guys today. You may remember the story of Jonah was one where God told Jonah to go and preach at a place called Nineveh, a city. A city who at that time was an arch enemy of Israel. And they were also a people who were known for being cruel. So, Jonah. Well, he actually went off in the opposite direction. But God says, look, you didn't accept the message. I want you to go. And what shall we say? He used a little persuasion to get Jonah to go there. He actually did it by causing a storm to come up in the middle of the sea around the boat that Jonah, the very boat that Jonah was trying to get away in. 
Now the crew recognised that Jonah was the cause of their problems, so they threw him overboard, and the story tells us a giant fish swallowed him whole. And he was in that fish for three days and three nights, and then even the fish couldn't stomach him anymore, and it threw him ashore. And finally, Jonah goes to Nineveh and preaches there like God asked him to. Jonah, it says, stayed three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And Jesus is using that as a reference to his death and resurrection, saying that he is going to be in the heart of the earth before returning heart of the earth, which is a reference to the three days and three nights after he dies in the cross before coming back again. Simply put, he's saying this, the one sign I will give you is the sign of the resurrection. I am going to die and I'm going to be dead for three days and three nights, but I am coming back from the dead. Now, the details of this Jonah story aren't important at this time. I'll hopefully look at this story in great detail sometime in the future when we get to study the actual book of Jonah itself. But the point here is we need to take on board is simply this. Jesus is using that story as an illustration. Jesus is using it as a sign, as an image of his resurrection, death and resurrection. So Jesus said, I'm done giving you these signs. I've already given you plenty. You've seen me do one thing after another. You don't need any more of that type of signs in order to make a decision about me. But there is one more insight, if you like, I'll give you. I'm going to give you, yes, the insight of the resurrection, my death and resurrection. My whole books have been written on the resurrection, but basically what the Bible tells us that Jesus died, was taken down from the cross by the Romans, who put him in a tomb, and they put a seal on that tomb, rolled a stone in front of it, put a seal on it, and put guards around it. Yet still, God came down somehow and supernaturally removed that stone, rolled away the stone, and the historical record tells us that when the people went inside, the tomb was empty. It actually says the grave clothes were lying on the slab. You know they wrapped bodies up in linen in those times and it is almost, it seems to me, be describing a picture as if the body had almost evaporated through the grave clothes. And there are witness accounts of people, of him appearing to people after these events. Many of them recorded in the Gospel and one reference to the fact that he appeared to over 500 people at once. So Jesus came back from the dead and Jesus says, here is my proof if you want it and if you want to see it. And the proof I'm giving you will be my future resurrection. All the great figures of history are dead. All the Roman Caesars are dead. Mohammed is dead. Karl Marx is dead. Buddha is dead. You can name all the religious leaders there's ever been in the world one by one and you will see they have all eventually died and when they died, they stayed dead. But the unique claim of Christianity is that Jesus died and then conquered death. And after he died, he returned and he spoke to his people. And then he spoke again to his people through the Holy Spirit, to his disciples and to apostles, who then recorded what he said and what he taught in this book called the Bible. He spoke particularly through his beloved disciple John, and when he said this about this issue, and I'm quoting from the Revelation, he said, I am he that lives and died and was dead, but behold, I am alive forever and have the keys of hell and death. 
That's from Resurrection chapter 1. This whole idea is a crowning proof of the fact that Christianity is all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything is in a sense pinned on that, so much so that the Apostle Paul wrote, if Jesus Christ did not come back from the dead, then our faith is in vain. But the whole point here is here are these people who have him standing before him and they haven't believed anything they've seen or he said. They haven't believed any of the evidence that has been presented to them so far. They haven't accepted any proof that he's offered and they've rejected all that he's done and all that he said. In fact, they've gone beyond that. They've called what he's done evil. And for that, he calls them an evil, an adulterous and a faithless generation. So now what he does, he responds to the crest and he and tells them what this means and he's given them the sign of the prophet Jonah and explained that. But now he's going to warn them of the results of their unbelief if they don't accept that. Verse 41, he says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. So he responds to their crest by saying, yeah, I've given you the sign. It's the sign of Jonah. It's my resurrection. But I'll also tell you this. The result of that is that if you reject what is left for you, and he gives the illustration, and he says, look, even those men of Nineveh, the ones who heard Jonah preach, they got it and they repented. In fact, Jonah chapter 4 says that when he preached to them, they believed. So they changed their mindset and they trusted God. And what Jesus is saying, all they had was Jonah, the flawed man Jonah. But they still found grace. They found grace because they responded to him. But today, someone much greater than Jonah is here. Remember, Jonah in that story was a sinful, rebellious man. But he still found the forgiveness of God. And the people that listened to what he said also found the forgiveness of God by listening to him. And here we now have Jesus, the sinless Son of God, standing before them, and they're not listening, and all they had was this flawed individual, Jonah, and they listened to him and they got it. And they will be the ones standing at the judgment seat who will be able to look upon this generation and say, you didn't get it. You've listened and heard the Son of God himself, and you've rejected it. Jonah, he didn't work any miracles. Jesus worked dozens of miracles, scores, hundreds perhaps, and these people don't get it. Jonah was just a minor prophet he's described in as the Old Testament, but Jesus is the Messiah himself. And those people of Nineveh, they got it. And yet these people, these great supposed religious leaders, standing before the Son of God himself, they don't get it. Which is why he says the very people of Nineveh will be able to stand in the judgment seat and will look upon you and say that they are greater than you because they received the message that this ordinary guy called Jonah gave them. He will then give another illustration of the consequences of all this in verse 42, but we're going to look at that next time.
Okay, friends, that's where we're pausing today. Thank you so much for joining me. A quick reminder that there's always a full transcript of each and every one of these podcasts available in the episode notes of where the podcast is hosted, which is in www.thebibleproject.buzzsprite.com. You'll not only find the transcript there, but you'll find links through to all the different places where you can connect to my ministry and get access to other free resources. Places like the Facebook page, the YouTube channel, which is becoming the long-term archive of all these audio files, because as this project progresses and gets larger in scope, it's important, I feel, for people to be able to navigate their way through it. So on YouTube, you'll see audio files with the scriptures visually attached, put into playlist forms in the form of books and themes. So if you're looking for a particular piece of teaching, you're not going to have to scroll back through hundreds and hundreds of daily episodes to find what you're looking for. So there's links to places like that, as well as places like my uh, LinkedIn page and my Patreon page, where you can connect with the ministry and support it. But also that's the place where I also put always free further teaching resources. Those teaching resources on those places tend to be more structured discipleship type courses. So you're very welcome to go and find them there. Now, there may be links wherever you're getting your podcast from, but if you're not seeing those those things and those links, uh, because a lot of the big podcast providers like Spotify and Apple are now starting to restrict the ability for you to click through on active links whenever they're hosting a podcast, but you'll certainly be able to find those active links on the podcast homepage on thebibleproject.buzzsprout.com. But the most important thing I'd like to say is thank you for being part of this amazing journey together. For those of us who have chosen to bring and to make the study of the Bible, not just the reading of the Bible, the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of our daily lives. And I do hope that you're being blessed in receiving it as much as I am being blessed in the preparation of it. And if you are enjoying it, then maybe consider liking it, sharing it, reviewing it. By sharing it with other people on those social media places that you inhabit, I believe it's the best way in which other people can hear about this and other people can be brought within to the orbit of the message of the Bible and the Gospel. So maybe think about doing that. But with that all said, I'll just sign off now and again say thank you very much for joining me on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.